Welcome to season two of Career Resilience, where we talk with people about their career path and their career journey, and maybe we can all learn from each other. My name is Jan Daniluk, and I'm a human resources consultant in London, Ontario, Canada. I work with Ford Keist LLP, providing human resources advice and counsel to my business clients. I also support people through individual one-on-one coaching in helping with career development. I hope you will enjoy our series where we talk with ordinary, extraordinary people. We get to hear about interesting journeys. We get to talk with people about failures, successes, advice, and counsel to us as we develop our own careers. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with these people, and I hope you will enjoy listening to it. And now for some logistics, please subscribe on YouTube, or if you're a listener, please follow me wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a chance, I hope you'll visit my website, career-resilience.com. Welcome. Hi, it's Jan. I'm just hopping on at the beginning of this week's interview to thank you so much for all the support that you've given Career Resilience this year. This was our second season, and it's now the end of our second season. And we're going to take the summer off to regroup and think about what would be great for the fall. I hope that you all have a wonderful summer, and I hope to chat with you in the fall and look forward to more amazing guests on top of all the amazing guests we've had so far. There are some incredible people out there with great ideas for us to share with each other and to help us all become more resilient. Thanks. My guest today is Mamta Bajaj. Mamta, welcome to Career Resilience. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to talk to you across the globe. So in April, I had a chance to chat with your daughter, Monisha, who is an amazing woman. Um, I was super impressed with her. And we got to talking about you because um, you, you and Monisha work together. And also we were chatting about the fact that you spent some time at home as a career choice to raise your kids. And so I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with someone who stayed at home for a number of years. So let's start, though, with where you live and where, where do you live? Okay, so I'm, I'm a, I live in Bangkok, Thailand, which is in Southeast Asia. And this is really my home where I've lived most of my life. Okay, so you were basically born and raised in the big city. Right. I mean, I was born in India, but our family is based here for many generations. So we've been, so that's why Bangkok is our home. Um, let's, let's just immediately jump into talking about your career. Did you have a career outside the home before you decided to stay at home? Uh, actually, um, no, that that's, um, uh, that I'll give you a little bit of context. I, I studied after I graduated, I studied at, uh, after high school here in Bangkok, I went to LA and I got my uh, bachelor's from the Fashion Institute of Design. Oh. And uh, then I came back to Bangkok and I got married right away. So I was very young. Yes. I think I, I was very young when I was married. I was only about 20 when I got married. Mm-hmm. And then I had my two, my daughters um, 
within the first four years, I had my two daughters. I have three children. I never actually came from college and even considered working because I was just into motherhood right away. Yes. Okay, so that makes it even a little bit more complex. Um, so, so let's talk about career, and then we'll kind of come back to motherhood. So at some point, your children were a certain age, and you started thinking about switching careers from career as a mom to going outside the home. How did that thought process start? Yeah, so, you know, uh, like I said, so the first, I mean, when my kids, at one point, my kids, uh, when they had joint school and they had some structure and some routine, I I realized that, uh, okay, maybe I can pick up on my passions that I've always had. And uh, so... I remember I was just, it just, you know, it's, it's a 20 year gap. I, I finished my bachelor's 20 years later. I picked up my, I pursued my master's degree. So I had that 20 year in the middle of motherhood, mm-hmm. which was mostly all motherhood in that 20 years. And I just decided, you know, that, okay, I've given my best to bringing up my kids. They're becoming independent. Mm-hmm. And so this is a good time. So I was sitting with my husband in a re- in a restaurant one day, and I just told him, I said, you know, I want to do my master's. I, I was so young when I was married. And he said, you know, sure, if you, we can support the girls, we can support you. Why not? And that was it. And I started. It's about 10 years ago. So it's from there I got my master's, and then I went in to get my qualifications for to be a clinical trauma counselor and that's just been going on from there. So it sounds like you decided not to get your master's somehow related to fashion. No. (laughs) So so that's quite a difference. Yeah, actually, even in in university, my favorite subject was actually psychology. And yeah, actually, and also a, a little backstory there, you know, at that time, because I come from a very traditional household, uh, it was almost like my grandparents had not even decided that we needed to go to college. I could have actually been married right after high school. Mm-hmm. So the fact that my parents pushed for me to go to study because my parents have are also educated. So I didn't really mind where they were sending me as long as I got to study. So I just took all the options I got. Okay. Okay. Similar to your daughter, who's always very interested in different options and so on. She obviously learned that from you. Um, So you said that you were raised in a very traditional way. Um, What was it like for you to move to Los Angeles then? Uh, You know, I had, because we had been traveling all my life, I have been traveling Mm -hmm. and I had, I have a family there as well at that time. So um, it was interesting. It wasn't a difficult adjustment. And because I really wanted to be there, you know, when you want to be someplace, you just enjoy it. So I didn't find the transition very dramatic or difficult to make. Okay. So let's, let's go back now. Here you are. You're, you're thinking about going into get your master's in psychology. Yeah. I got my master's in psychotherapy and counseling. And then I qualified for trauma counselor as well, amongst other few degrees that I've been doing. 
uh, uh, the other degrees as well. Um, such yeah, as- I did cognitive behavioral therapy, and I did a few other other exposure and response prevention for anxiety, and so I continue to study as well. Okay, so are you a very driven person, Mamta? I. <sighs> That's a good question. I think so. I think, you know, I've always had that uh, desire, even when I became a mom and I chose to uh, dedicate myself to my children and be fully immersed in their upbringing. There were always ways that I found to stimulate my mind because I think education for me is very rejuvenating. I love it. You know, I, I love learning. I think I'm a life life learner yeah and so I think for me I've always found ways that you know opportunities any opportunities I would get to do mm-hmm. to study uh, f- for example I remember when my kids were very small uh, the first thing you know you're in this nursery rhyme world and this bringing up world and baby world and once I woke up having this dream of of purple dinosaurs you know these cartoon characters that my kids loved and I thought okay I need to change up my pace and here they're only maybe five or six years old and I went to school and I met other mothers who were also having probably purple dinosaur dreams and I said okay let's you know I said why don't we form a book club we're coming to pick up our children every day after school so we are meeting so why don't we form a book club so I formed a book club and so we would meet one hour before pickup time and discuss books. Mm-hmm. So, and then at one point when my my children were a bit older, before I had my son, I asked my dad if I could work with him part-time so that I was still available to pick up my children after school. Mm-hmm. So in that time, my father had a uh, jewelry business. So I took up gemology as well. So I got a certification in gemology between, before my son, while my kids were in school. Uh, And so I think maybe I see the pattern that I am always trying to do something. Yeah, always wanting to learn something beyond purple dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, yeah, beyond purple dinosaurs. So so tell me about what you do for, for a living. What is your career now? So now my career, I am, I uh, run Wum Choi, which is a nonprofit organization where we're dedicated to prevent relationship violence. Uh, And we're based in Bangkok. And so we do workshops in schools and workplaces. And additional to that, now I'm in my counseling practice as well. And I'm setting up my private practice. So in the process of having that set up. Okay, where you will do one-on-one counseling. Yes, one-on-one and probably group counseling as well, because I have my experience in group counseling as well. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with uh, women women and men who've experienced trauma and anxiety and OCD. And so I... It is something that I find that is something that I want to do. And and why? Why why did you choose such a difficult path? You know, my worlds kind of collided when I started. Uh, I studied for my master's because I had an interest in human behavior. And then how Ruam Choi came about was also interesting because at the time when I was... Uh, 
preparing uh, for room tour, we were discussing it and our topics, we are dealing with intimate relationships. We're mm -hmm. dealing, dealing with sex and relationship violence, physical, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. And yes. so it, it is a heavy topic and we were discussing our next steps on what to do. So, you know, Monisha, I work with my daughter, Monisha, and she had presented this vision board and she said, you know, mom, let's explore trauma further. And I said, okay, good. So it's sort of, it was also something that was interesting. And simultaneously in my philanthropic organization that I am part of, mm -hmm. I was also chairing the gender-based violence committee. So through that committee, I had already began advocating in Thailand through giving talks at, at universities and other places on the topic of gender-based violence. So the interest just came from there. I mean, it's heartbreaking to hear the stories. I feel the pain and I really think that we we think, you know, Monisha and me were talking about it and I said, I'm doing so much advocating. How about we try to see what else we can do about this beyond just talking. We all know the problem. We have discussed the problem. What's the next step? Mm -hmm. And it was actually Monisha that said, mom, you know, I got this. I know what to do. We'll, we'll, we'll make it active. We'll go in and talk to students. And then that's how it is. Mm -hmm. So all my interests just seem to collide. Yes. It all sort of came together, didn't it? Yeah. And how, how do you as a person and as a, as a mom, because we're different when we're moms, right? We're wired a little bit differently because we we have these people outside our body that that are our hearts outside our body, as as uh, I, I like to sort of think of it. How how do you personally uh, cope with the kind of career choice you've made? It's emotional. It is emotional. You know, when, when uh, that, that's something like when I'm in school, for instance, when I'm talk, working with the students, I, it's, it's like, you know, my heart feels like I just wish I could protect all these students. I wish yes. they would learn. I wish I could do something, you know. And when we finish the workshops and we are talking to them and I'm hearing the, the, the questions that they're asking and I'm seeing that the conflicts and the problems that they face and understanding is just, I feel very protective. So I really have that sort of yeah. protective quality in me, you know, yes. so I sort of, sort of restrain myself, get factual. Okay. We're here and it is possible. So I keep a check on that. And even for my kids, I think when you're naturally aware that there's so much out there for them and there's so many issues to tackle, yeah. that you just want to hold them close to you and say, hey, what can I do to protect you? And the best thing I can do to protect you is to teach you and to give you skills. And yeah. so that's what I can do because they have to navigate their own worlds. And I feel also, you know, we spend all our life as, as parents teaching our kids how to be successful in their careers, motivate them to study hard so they can achieve financial success. But what about relationship success? Because most of our happiness when we look back in life is based also on our relationships. Yes. Yes, that's so, so true. Yeah, there isn't a lot of studying around that. It's mostly modeling the behavior, isn't it, that you want to see your, your kids uh, carry out when they have those more adult relationships, you know, whether uh, intimate marriage or friendship relationships. It's, it's mostly modeling that they learn from, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, like 
children say they they see you they watch you your actions they see how you behave mm-hmm. and that's how they learn and you know and and children also i think very young children they first form their self view based on what you are how you are treating them yes. so it really begins at home with the parents on how you are with your children and the views they form on, on of themselves which really carries on yeah so i as parents i mean i'm very glad that i i got into this topic because it got me to address these difficult sensitive topics with my children and i mm-hmm. and i really, i learned that uh it's so important as parents whether you're coming from a conservative culture or and it's difficult for you to have these topics but we need to have these topics because yes. the benefit of it is that then your children will know that now you are available for them that they can come yes. to you i mean we don't have to be super skilled we don't have to have all the answers i don't think as parents you need to know everything mm-hmm. but you need to open the door of communication because that is then i think forms the security for your children that okay i have a problem i can go talk to my parents about it yeah the the work that you do and that you do with manisha is it trailblazing uh, if by trailblazing you mean uh something uh new uh and uh, i think i think so in bangkok yes because we have faced a bit a few challenges in explaining what we do because people it's not that easy in our culture to open up to talk yeah. about it relationships so it is and then there and then there people don't understand all the time what you're exactly you're teaching exactly you know yeah so it, it it is it is in a way and you know when monisha came back and she says mom you know because she has training in paraprofessional counseling bystander intervention crisis response and then i have my training so together she we i talk to the parents and i talk to the counselors and i talk to the adults and she talks to the young generation so wow. i think it's a good team so i i understand you know the push and pull when we're talking to parents because i've been there i've been that conservative mom not knowing how to talk or or the protective mom where i'm thinking mm-hmm. why do children know this information so young so i have been there so i know it's difficult but i also know that it's extremely important it's so important i mean you're you're doing such important work so tell me what it's like to actually work with your daughter i mean because you're you're a mother daughter relationship and here you are in business together really so what is it like to work with your daughter oh it's delightful i really i call her my boss baby you know i really i think she's my boss baby i just tell her i said manisha you're my boss baby because she really is and it's delightful because our relationship has also matured mm. we've learned how to understand each other and now that she's an adult it's almost like i'm i'm working with a friend and what is really good it's through our workshops like about setting boundaries and knowing so we we've learned over the years how to be more professional how not to talk about work when we're at home so we have carved our space of okay this is work time and then this is mom and daughter time so we change roles so when she's my boss baby she's my boss baby when i'm her mom i'm her mom we don't let that yeah <laughs> we don't let that mix <laughs> Well that's good and that's probably learned behavior as well. Yeah. Um 
So, so let us switch back then to being, um, as, as we said, the career choice of, of, of being a career mom. So you mentioned that you, you stayed at home for, for quite a period of time. And it's, it's interesting because we're, ta- we're talking across cultures, right? I'm North American, Canadian, um, but a lot of women who make the choice, and it's mostly women still, who make the choice to, to stay at home and raise their kids, start to lose self-esteem. Is that something that happens in your culture or did that happen with you? Absolutely. I, I'm really glad that you asked me that question because I definitely struggled with that. You know, I got, uh, again, now going back because I was a young mom when I got married, I'm from a, a sort of a traditional setup. Initially, it wasn't actually even expected that I work. So I didn't have that uh, that kind of pressure that I have to work. You know, my husband was working hard to support the family and I was a yes. mom. We just fit into the roles of mother, daughter-in-law, wife, and those roles are just sort of defined. Yes. But as, as my kids were just about three, four years, things changed very quickly. And I found so many women choosing careers. And I have question that and it did affect my self-esteem at one point because you know when we go out and you are talking our our identities are based on the work that we do and you go out and you talk to other people and they're like what are you doing oh I'm an accountant I work in the law firm I work in a bank and then what do you do and then I'm saying I'm a mom Uh, so that's it blank they're just oh okay so how do you pass time and I'm thinking (laughs) Time. I'm thinking there's such a thing as free time available. Somebody hasn't told me about that. But but it, it affects you because your value and self-esteem is probably attached to a work identity. And sometimes I felt like I had to compensate by saying, oh, no, no, but I'm a mom, but I'm also studying, but I am also doing this. I don't know why we have to keep saying the but when being a mom is already like a fabulous job it's a 24 7 job so I did struggle with that and I couldn't own being a full-time mom I mean in when I'm talking to people because it was always I am also doing this and I questioned myself but after a while you know I learned very quickly that what am I why am I why is my mindset this way so I managed to flip it and uh After that, I think I just said, you know, I'm going to immerse myself into this. I'm going to be a great mom. I'm going to love doing this. And I really did. I would make the same decision again to be a full time. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that you identified it overtly and and made a decision. Because I, I think that it is difficult for moms who do stay at home doing the most difficult role. <laughs> it, it is such a tough job. And you're right, it's a 24-7 job. And at the same time, we we look at people that are in the workforce and think, you know, why am I not doing that? And it, it's very uh, challenging to to realize how important the work is that we're doing. And, and I really admire that what you did was you deliberately made a decision that this was going to be something that you were proud of doing. Um, I just 
I just find it fascinating, though, the, the societal mores that are put on us that say, if you're a woman, you should be a mom, you should be having a, a career, you should be very attractive, you should be dressed well at all times, you should keep it all together, and all these things, all these pressures. So when you're talking to some of your 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 outreach with Room Choi and so on, are you able to overlay some of that for the people that you talk to? You know, right now when we when I'm working with parents, because we have parent circles, and uh, the topic hasn't really come up about just being moms, because now most of them are working. Mm -hmm. And I think the top the topic, if anything at all, would be that is it really an option not to work? Because it's going the other way around where I can just be a mom and I can just stay home and is it valuable enough? So it's actually flipped. It's not the way I was. It's going the other way. And I mean, that comes up, that comes up, up briefly, you know, because when I'm saying I, I was home and I was able to form and I am able to form this bond and attachment with my children and I got to know them individually. You know, I've seen them grow up. I've been there for every yeah. milestone of theirs and it and I think it's very rewarding and very enriching and I think it brings a lot of stability to the child mm -hmm. yeah um the the people that say would it be okay or acceptable now to stay at home what do you think is their thought process behind sort of thinking in those terms would it be okay to stay at home and not do this career? I think it goes back to the question of identity. What is your identity? How are you identified as? And mom is an identity. You know, if you put it that way, being a mom is an identity. But I don't, I think it is the pressures in society, maybe economic pressures also. Yes. That don't allow women that choice. And then women are struggling because they're trying to do it all. Yeah. And when you try to do it all, you are struggling in every aspect. And then you don't feel good enough about yourself because now you're not here and you're not there. Mm -hmm. So I think there are many women I know that would probably enjoy being moms, staying at home. Mm -hmm. But I think the with the availability, okay, we have schools and maybe we, we get a nanny for them or we get someone to help them. I think all that create some kind of conflict in them so yeah. they feel like okay then maybe i can work because in this part of the world help is also available yes yeah help is not particularly available in this part of the world so i knew someone um in your part of the world who had two kids and a nanny for each and over here that would just be completely unheard of so it turns into um, women saying, I'm a terrible mom, I'm a terrible wife, <laughs> I'm a terrible worker because <laughs> I can't give what I need to give to each of those things. It's true, you know, and, and even for me, like I had help and I had someone telling me, why are you doing this? You can go out and do something else because I did have help. And I thought to myself, but why, when I want to be with my kids, I mean, they are my kids. 
I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I find that questioning also was a bit like, you know, you don't have to sacrifice. You can just go out and, and do things and your kids will, will come up. And then I said to myself, you know, firstly, I don't look at being a mom as a sacrifice. Yes. I at that period of dedicating yourself to your kids as an adjustment period. You know, we adjust in every phase of our life. We are constantly adjusting and adapting. Mm -hmm. You adjust to where the need is greatest. And the need is greatest for young children, especially, I mean, up to three, up to seven, up to 12. The need and that attachment and bond is so crucial for the child. Mm -hmm. So I, to me, it's an adjustment now my kids have grown up. I'm making another adjustment. I'm getting back into studying. So that's how I view motherhood. I don't view it really as a series of sacrifices and I'm losing oh. out or I'm missing out on anything. I'm yeah. not. I'm having the greatest time of my life with my children. Yeah. A, a lot of times here in, in our society, women will work for a period of time in their careers and they'll establish themselves in their careers and then they'll get pregnant and have a, a leave of absence and then go back to work and that's that's sort of when that process of now i'm not doing a good job to, for anything <laughs> comes yeah. in right because they yeah. were able to uh, create a career when they were single when they didn't have any other activities really other than social they could go out they could have fun all those things and then they get pregnant and a lot of it seems to be about the pregnancy and having the baby and the showers and the great baby clothes and then all of a sudden they think where did my life go right because they had this period of time that they had spent having this different life so i really like what you say mamta about adjustment that it's it's a series of adjustments in life isn't it like mm -hmm. for me to get back to wanting to work and starting to work and it took a bit of courage for me to even consider it because now I'm, that is new for me. That is something I'm picking up from like a 20 year gap. Yeah. And, but it's, it's entirely, it is possible. Yeah. And I think we need to get out of that mindset. I mean, and, and I, and I push and I pull and I will fight for it if I want it, because I will go forward because I think it is possible. I don't think we should just put ourselves in a box and say, okay, now I'm too old to start a career and, mm -hmm. and, or, you know, I've lost my time. Yeah. I didn't lose my time. I used it very valuably and now I will use it very valuably in the future. Yes, that's right. Um, I think that uh, it's really interesting to, to think about us in terms of, you know, I'm too young to do that. I'm too young to do that. I'm too young to do that. I'm too old to do that. I'm too old to do yeah. that. <laughs> and sometimes uh, it feels yeah. like the perfect moment has never arrived. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the perfect moment is now, I think. Always. Right? want to do i think it's 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 the present yeah. time so i i wonder with you i mean you you do make it sound kind of easy you you know you look at you and you're this together person and did you have major struggles in making these adjustments uh 
yes, I, I'm going to say uh, yes and no. Yes, because like I said, you know, I've always wanted to learn and I've always wanted to explore other options and keep my mind stimulated. But uh, the, I think the difficulty first, again, as we just discussed, was a self-esteem and value and not being financially, you know, contributing, even though it was not asked of me. But I think the adjustment comes in very, uh, I mean, it, it's not that somebody has said anything to you. It's like when my kids were older, like when they were in high school. So now they're, you know, 15, 16. Okay, my son was still about one or two. So I have that kind of age gap, that 10-year age gap. And I would actually get still get that pressure. So aren't you going to do anything? I mean, I would get that question asked. And it's always other people that question you. Actually, it doesn't come a lot of times. I think we get triggered by other people and what people yes. around you are doing. So I find that adjustment, I, I find having to explain myself an adjustment. I feel like it shouldn't be something that I have to explain. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. it, it, or justify. Justify, yeah. Why do I have to justify it? My family is happy. My husband has respect for me. He's happy. I'm a good mom. Yeah. He works hard. He's he's a you know good father. He provides, but I'm still finding I'm justifying it. Even maybe when nobody was asking me, I was justifying it. So it was, yeah. you know, I the adjustment really comes in 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 that aspect. I mean, that was my experience. Nature versus nurture. Um, you would say obvious. I would think it'd be obvious. You would say that for children, it's a combination of both. Definitely, I think yeah. it is a. And yeah. I think because I mean we have to understand that that after a certain point they are still going, you know, they are going out into a world, they're going to make their friends, they're going to meet different people. Yeah, so the way cool. we have our personalities, they're going to form their opinions as well. That's why, you know, I actually I read this book by uh uh, Gordon Newfield and Gaber Maté on hold on to your kids in this culture and why attachment to parents is very important because they emphasize that the natural attachment patterns that need to happen for a child's security and mental well-being as they grow up are formed actually, you know, for the, from, for the first three years and then the first seven years. Those are very crucial points. Mm -hmm. So if you can form that healthy attachment and give your child that security and bond, then when they go out in nature and you now you're putting them out to nature and to their peers yes. and to their friends where they will get advice and they will navigate their own lives they at least have that solid base from which mm -hmm. to be discerning from which to know what choices to make so i think nurture is extremely important because nature will take over maybe it'll even overpower nurture at some points through children's lives yeah. but if the base is strong if you've built a good framework for your children and given them that security then they have something to hold on to and the values that you want to instill in them i wanted to switch over to my three questions that i let you know that i wanted to ask and yeah. what has been the best career advice that you've received um I think the best career advice, or I, I, I'm going to say life advice, which works into career advice, is from my dad. Uh, this was when my son was just about uh, not even a year. 
And I had, like I, like I mentioned earlier, before I had my son, I'd started working with my dad just part-time, mm-hmm. you know, a few, three hours every day. And then I had got my uh, study gemology. In fact, I was actually pregnant nine months with my son when I went to get my certification. <laughs> and I had my little daughter and my mom in the audience cheering me on. And it was just such a sweet moment for me. And then I had my son and my dad came to me and he said, you know, Mamta, know your priorities. He said, he says, I, I am so happy you're developing your skills and learning more, but know your priorities. You have been a good mother to your girls. Your son needs you. Be there for him. Give him the same thing that you have given your daughters. Yeah. So know your priorities. And I think it's so true because we can't be everywhere. So again, when I had my son for the first few years, I gave him my full time. Mm-hmm. Priority. Yeah. Know your priorities. Excellent words to live by there. Um, Secondly, is there a book that you've read that influenced you in some way? Yes, I love reading. So I think my the book that I'm currently that I always go back to is Super Brain by uh, Deepak Chopra and Rudolf Tanzi. Mm -hmm. And I bought this book about 10 years ago. And it's very meaningful to me because it was also the time that I had started studying. And uh, it talks about neuroplasticity and the brain's ability to reform itself and to form new neural pathways. Mm -hmm. And they talk about the super brain and the baseline brain, the baseline brain being the everyday brain that has maybe our limiting beliefs that, oh, I'm too old to do this or I'm yeah. not right for this job. And then the super brain that tells you, no, there's more, you know. So are you using your brain or is your brain using you? So with with so it's, it's, it's very interesting how they say, you know, with conscious intent and self-awareness, you can optimize your physical and emotional and psychological and spiritual well-being. So the book is very encouraging and... I think it's a must read. It sounds like a must read. Yeah. <laughs> um, and third, what advice would you give your younger self? I think I would tell my younger self to be less critical. I was very critical growing up of myself. <laughs> I would, you know, I see, am I doing this well enough? Am I here? Am I good enough for this? Can I do this better? Mm-hmm. So I think I would tell my younger self to be less critical. And I think I wish I had learned to set boundaries. I didn't have many boundaries growing up. I was everywhere for everything that was happening. I was trying to accommodate my family and accommodate every situation. So I wish I'd learned to set better boundaries to be able to keep a little bit of sanity at times. Because, you know, it's it's not that anybody's asking you to do anything. It was just my my desire to okay i will do this and i will do that and and you learn that when you are setting boundaries actually the other person doesn't mind but if you have not set them then everybody's just going to ask you what to do so i think i overextended myself many times <laughs> yeah that's that's a double edged sword right because that's the the uh, the other side of that is what makes you so accomplished and willing to accomplish um but at the same time we have to nurture ourselves and when you combine that with not uh being as good a friend to ourselves as we are to others um it it can be challenging and and you know uh through doing this podcast it's really interesting to me mom to how many people how many of us 
myself included, are not that nice to ourselves. We're so much nicer to people outside ourselves. And I, I don't, I, I keep finding that fascinating in terms of surely we should be our own best friends. And yes, exactly. I was just going to say that I did a, a course in mindful self-compassion and that was the one lesson that I really took away. Be your own best friend and talk to yourself as you would talk to your friend. And that is one lesson that I have taught all my three children. I've even encouraged all of them to take the course. My young, my middle one has already taken the course. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, it is something that we should do for ourselves. Yeah. Self-compassion. To yourself. Yeah. It's so true. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I think uh, we've covered a lot of territory. Yeah, I think I would just, I, yeah, I think, you know, I would like to just say that um, really, I mean, I know everybody's situations and circumstances and parenting journey is different, but I would like to say invest time in your children. It, you know, the returns in the form of love and happiness and connection will last a lifetime. So do that. Yeah. Invest in children. Yeah, there's no love like it. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for meeting with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks, Mamta. To our viewers and listeners, thanks so much for, for joining us for this conversation. And I think it's the first time I've really sort of delved into talking with a mom about choosing the career as a mom. And for actually for all women, the, the career choices we make are, are difficult and challenging. I know they are for men as well, but I, I do sometimes think that women have an, an extra complicated plate to, to take care of in life. So thanks for joining us on Career Resilience. I, I wish you would also listen to the podcast that I had with Manisha. If you haven't had a chance to already, that was in April and she's amazing. And you can see what this mom did for that girl and the woman that she's become. So thanks for joining us. If you're a listener, wherever you get your podcast, if you're a viewer, we're on, on YouTube. And until we meet again, thanks. <laughs>